0: Welcome back, everybody. We have our Encounter with God segment coming up right now, but before we get into the book of Acts, and of course, join us with 20 million other people around the world all studying the same chapter of the book of Acts today.
1: The 20 million movement.
0: The 20 million movement, mm-hmm. 2mm. Okay, what have we got for our next quiz clue? This is a super easy one. I think it's a super easy one. I mean, it's a kind of an obscure person. She is not mentioned often in the Bible, but it's kind of a famous story. Yeah, yeah, it absolutely is. It's like plays about this, there's a a dance named after these events, there's movies, yeah.
1: yeah. Okay, so who am I? Musicals. I had a grudge against John the Baptist.
0: Mm. Mm Okay.
1: Who had beef with John the Baptist?
0: Cost him his life. Mm -hmm. Okay, so let's go to the book of Acts and we are in Acts chapter 6, Mon, so let's flick over there real quick and let's see what the Bible has to say for us today. Acts chapter 6 and of course we have been reading about the appointment of the seven deacons and yesterday we talked all about what it means to be a deacon, what the role of a deacon is, what does a deacon do and where does a deacon fit in within the church and now we're going to find out some more specific information about one of these deacons, probably the most famous of them but the one who didn't, who lasted the shortest amount of time Yes. after these events. Okay, where did we get up to yesterday?
1: Uh, we definitely uh, read all their names out because I remember having to...
0: <laughs> Why don't we start in verse 8? St-
1: uh, 6 verse 8? Mm-hmm. Okay. Stephen, a man full of God's grace and power, performed amazing miracles and signs among the people. But one day, some men from the synagogue of freed slaves, as it was called, started a debate with him. As there were Jews from Cyrene, Alexandria, Sicilia, and the province of Asia... None of them could stand against the wisdom and the spirit with which Stephen spoke. So they persuaded some men to lie about Stephen, saying, We heard him blaspheme Moses and even God. This roused the people, the elders and the teachers of religious law. So they arrested Stephen and brought him before the high council. The lying witnesses said, This man is always speaking against the holy temple and against the law of Moses. We have heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy the temple and change the customs Moses handed down to us. At this point, everyone in the high council stared at Stephen because his face became as bright as an angel's.
0: Okay, so this is a um, very interesting story that we have here, particularly when you consider that, you know, here Stephen is in the court and his face is shining like an angel. Have you ever seen someone's face shine like that, Mon? Nope. That would definitely catch your attention, Oh, it? most definitely. And you would really be wondering, what am I doing here? Should I really be having an argument with this person at this particular point if something like that was happening?
1: Yeah, you'd be quite concerned.
0: Okay. It doesn't seem that they were so concerned. They were more angry than concerned, which is kind of strange, but we need to work our way back through the passage and find out Why? Okay, so we go back to the beginning here. The Bible says that Stephen was full of what?
1: Grace and power. God's grace and power specifically. God's grace
0: and power. Mm -hmm. And as a result of that, what is he doing?
1: He's performing uh, amazing miracles and signs among the people.
0: And as a result of that, many people are giving their lives to Jesus Christ. So you've got Stephen who is a deacon, which means that he has dedicated his life to taking care of the social needs of his community you know feeding the poor helping people out whatever it needed to be done he was he was somebody who was a you know involved in practical christian service but not only was he involved in practical christian service he was obviously and and very much so a very powerful preacher mm. and what this reveals to us is that for a church to grow and to be effective you have to have both isn't that so absolutely so we find, you know, and this is one of the things you often find within Christianity. You find some churches that are great on Christian service. You find other churches that are great on evangelism. hmm And neither of them grow that well. You need to have both. Yeah. Some churches are great on discipleship. Uh-huh. But if you have discipleship on its own, your church will not grow. If you have um, service on its own, your church will not grow. If you have evangelism on its own, your church will struggle to grow. Mm-hmm. Yeah, with all of those on their own will produce small results. Combine them together and if you can produce a combined force of all of them working together towards a common goal, then you're going to create the greatest uh, perfect storm of evangelism that that church has ever seen and that church will grow and explode and, you know, really go places in a very, very powerful way. And so Stephen is somebody who actually exemplifies this. He is involved just in the one person, and it's not often you see it in the one person. You know, the whole purpose of having a church is that, you know, church is like a body, it has many, many members.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: You have hands, you have feet, you have noses, you have eyes, you have ears, etc. The Bible talks about that, and they all do something differently. Um, but if you, have, uh, this, you know, if you have them all working together, then it goes well. Stephen was one of these unique individuals where he has all of these three elements working together within himself. He is a discipler, he is involved in Christian service, and he is involved in preaching, evangelism. And as a result, many, many people are giving their lives to God.
1: And he must have been quite a good speaker because, you know, it says here that a, a whole bunch of people um tried to debate him, but they couldn't they just couldn't stand against his wisdom. Yeah. In his
0: speech. It also tells us there's a little bit of other um, interesting sort of historical tidbits that come through in this story as well. If you go back to the beginning of the chapter, the whole reason that deacons were created was because of a dispute that was taking place between the Greek widows and the Jewish widows. That's
1: right. Yeah.
0: Now, we know that at this time in – the history of the church, the Greek widows were not of Greek descent. Mm-hmm. They were Jewish people who spoke Greek. They were Hellenistic Jews mm-hmm. who were living in the city. We learn a little bit more information about this as we come down to verse 9 where it says there are certain of the synagogue, which is called the synagogue of the Libertines and Cyrenians and Alexandrians and of them of Cilicia and Asia, arguing with Stephen. Mm-hmm. There were in 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 ancient Jerusalem at this particular period. There were two Greek speaking synagogues in the city. Two,
1: two. two Greek ones. Okay, Greek ones. <laughs> so, so you you would
0: imagine you go to Jerusalem and everyone's mm-hmm. going to speak you know Hebrew or Aramaic, but most likely Hebrew when they go to the synagogue.
1: Mm-hmm. So the synagogue full of Jews speaking Greek.
0: Yes. Yep. Um, and so um, one of them there was a there was a there was one in the south of the city made up of immigrant. Jews from Cyrene and Alexandria, and another one in the north of the city made up of immigrant Jews from Cilicia and Asia. And so these would have been, you know, Hellenistic Greek speaking Jews. Uh, They have their own Greek speaking synagogues. It's a little bit like, you know, if you go to any large city. Um, I think we even have one here in Newcastle and in the Adventist Church where there's a Spanish speaking church. I know that down in Sydney, you know, had Spanish speaking Adventist churches. You had.
1: the Chinese adventures Church, Croatian and Church, Serbian yeah. mm-hmm. and, you know, mm-hmm.
0: Russian and, yeah, every different language group that you can think of, um, South Pacific Islanders, mm-hmm. Um, here in Newcastle, we church. have the
1: uh, the multicultural church. I don't know what they're speaking there. <laughs> when I came to
0: Newcastle and they had a multicultural church, I thought it was the most hilarious thing I'd ever heard of. It's
1: pretty funny, isn't it? You're
0: coming from Sydney,
1: uh-huh.
0: you know, where every church is a multicultural. multicultural. And here they have a multi. I'm like, what? I'm like, How does this even work? And I went to my church. And my church was pretty much just full of Aussies. And it was so weird after, you know, having been in Sydney. And I was like, you have to have a church that is specifically for multicultural. I like what on earth is going on
1: here?
0: <laughs> but I guess uh, yeah, we don't quite have the mix in Newcastle that um, some of our bigger cities, like say for instance Sydney, Brisbane, uh, Melbourne, have. We don't have quite have that same uh, mm-hmm. uh, melting pot effect. But um, yeah, they certainly had that melting pot happening in Jerusalem at this time, and so they had um, they had two Greek speaking synagogues or two Greek speaking churches, and this is where Stephen, of course as a Greek-speaking Jew is ministering. And so this is where, you know, very early on in the history of the Christian church, we have the Greek language becoming very, very prominent amongst this new religion of Christianity.
1: So Stephen is also one of these Hellenistic Jews? Yes. Okay, so yes. he's one of them. Yeah, He's one of them. Mm-hmm.
0: And, of course, one of the reasons, if you go back through here and look at, you know, the names of the, of the people, um, Philip, Prochorus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenas, Nicholas—these are all Greek names. Mm-hmm. These are uh, Greek-speaking Jews with Greek names, mm-hmm. and so you know we often find, um, you know, as we've said before, Jewish people here in Australia—they have you know, Aussie names, yeah—but um, they are um, Jewish people, and you know speak English. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And you've got the same—you've got the same thing happening back then. This is a very familiar kind of um, environment that, uh, to us, a very familiar environment to us, uh, environment that they find themselves in there. Why am I all tangled up on my words today?
1: I think maybe I'm making you sick.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Your disease is spreading from one side of the office to the other. Let me escape.
1: You're listening to Faith FM, positively different radio.
0: Okay, so they come to, they drag him into court because they can't argue with him. So they drag him into court, you know, they're not able to withstand his arguments mm-hmm. in these two synagogues. So it's like, all right, then let's take him before the Sanhedrin because clearly they will be able to answer his arguments.
1: I think it's just so silly that, oh, I'm losing this argument. Let's like have this guy stood or arrested. It's such a horrible <laughs> way of doing it.
0: Yeah. Yep, I, um, I, can't, I can't answer what he's saying, so um, yeah, let's lock the guy up. Anyway, so they come down, uh, let's go down to verse 13 or verse 12. They stirred up the people and the elders and the scribes uh, and came upon him and caught him and brought him to the council and set up false witnesses which said, this man does not cease to speak blasphemous words against this holy place, the temple and the law. For we have heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth shall destroy this temple and shall change the customs which Moses delivered to us. Okay. They're described here as false witnesses.
1: But it's not exactly what Jesus said.
0: (laughs) (laughs) But is everything that they are saying false? No. No, there's a lot of truth in what they are saying, isn't there? Uh
1: Uh-huh, absolutely. Why is that? Well, I mean, that's that, I mean Jesus did prophesy that the temple, like no rock would be on top of another, no mm-hmm. stone would be left on top of another. And um, it's it's funny how they're accusing him of saying that, thinking that they'll catch him out in a lie, even though that's exactly what he said. But they know it's going to stir up contention because oh, they don't the, want the, to hear the, that. The,
0: the, this is the, the temple there is the, is the pride of the Jewish nation. Mm-hmm,
1: mm-hmm.
0: And the last thing in the world they want to hear is anything spoken against the temple. This had actually become a... A environment in um, in ancient ancient Judea, where the ruling class and the religious leaders had actually fallen into a form of idolatry, oh. where they honoured and worshipped the temple itself almost more than honouring and worshiping the God of the temple. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And so, if you spoke anything against the building, you know, the rocks that the building was made out of then that was considered to be the worst kind of blasphemy. Mm. Um, And so, of course, Stephen has preached that the temple will be destroyed. He's repeated the the, the prophecies of Jesus that the temple will be destroyed and one, one stone won't be left standing on top of another. But as a Christian who has a true understanding of the gospel, he would have also spoken about how that the sacrifices and the, service of the services of the temple had come to an end. Mm. And you imagine, as a Jewish person growing up with these being an integral part of your everyday existence, that would be a really hard thing to deal with, wouldn't it? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It's, it's like, you know, having uh, just coming along and, and having, you know, the carpet completely, the rug being completely pulled out from under your feet and being left, left with no foundation to stand on uh, initially. Until you find that fine foundation in Jesus Christ,
2: mm-hmm.
0: and so this is something that would make the Jewish leaders feel very, very insecure. You know, if this, particularly if the services of the temple have come to an end, that's just blown their economy clean out of the water. Yeah, yeah, that's their that's big cash m- cow. That's their big cash cow. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's the biggest, second biggest cash cow in the world at that particular time. Mm-hmm. And um, you know that they have Jews have always had a um, a talent for making money. And so um, this would be something that you, know, you can see they're, they're very concerned about.
1: What's their first big cash cow? Taxes?
0: Yes. Mm-hmm. From Rome. Yep. Okay. So let's, uh, let's then consider why would, why would Stephen be preaching against the sacrifices and ceremonies of the temple? The festivals. Mm-hmm. Why, why would he speak against those? And is he actually speaking against them?
1: Well, I don't think he's particularly speaking against them, but they're not needed anymore.
0: Okay. So yeah. they've been made obsolete by Absolutely. the death of Jesus Christ. These are services that pointed forward mm-hmm. to the death of Jesus Christ. They have now been fulfilled. Yep. They are now obsolete. And to continue those services in the temple after The type has met the anti type. After the, you know, everything that that lamb pointed forward to, you're you're still sacrificing lambs after Jesus Christ, the lamb of the world, has died. That's where the true blasphemy is, isn't it? Mm, And this is why God caused the temple to be destroyed 40 years later, was because of the blasphemy of continuing to offer sacrifices in that temple Mm. and continuing to, you know, continue on with the ceremonies. Um, and the festivals and the feast days of that temple after Jesus had died. You know, it's an interesting thing. It's an interesting point because sometimes I get people come to me and they say, oh, no, 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 no. We should still be keeping those festivals. We should still be keeping, you know, the Passover and so forth. We should still be keeping the... You know the the ceremonies and the feast days. Have you come across feast day keepers before? I have
1: actually, yeah, Yeah. I do know some.
0: So we probably should take a moment to actually look at that from the Bible. Let's go over to uh, Daniel chapter 9 and let's see what the Bible says over here. Daniel chapter 9, and this is a prophecy about Jesus. It's a prophecy about the Messiah. And let's see what the Bible says that the Messiah will do. So Daniel chapter 9, and we will go down to verse 27.
1: Daniel 9, 27 says, the rule I will make it... A- Actually,
0: wait, 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 wait. Let me, let me read this and I'll read it from verse 26. Sure, sure. After 62 weeks, Messiah will be cut off. So let's stop there for a moment. Uh, Messiah being cut off simply refers to um, Jesus' death. Being cut off in the Bible means to die. Mm-hmm. So Messiah will die, but not for himself. The Bible says he dies for you and I. Um, And then the people of the prince that will come shall destroy the city, of the sanctuary, and the end thereof shall be with a flood, and the end of the war desolations are determined. So the Bible prophesied here that Jesus, Messiah, would die, and after that um, a general would come and destroy the city and the temple. That's exactly what happened Mm -hmm. 40 years after Jesus died. Titus turned up and the Roman general destroyed the city and the temple. Mm -hmm. It goes on in verse 27, it says, And he shall confirm the covenant with many for one week, or one week, seven days, which equals seven years. And in the middle of the week, he will cause the sacrifice and the oblation to come to an end. And if you look at this from prophecy, what you find very simply is that uh, the middle of the week, that's three and a half days, three and a half years into his ministry, Jesus was cut off. He died and he brought the sacrifice to an end. The veil of the temple was torn in two from the top to the bottom to symbolize that the sacrifice and the um, the feast days, which were an integral part of of the sacrifice had been brought to an end. That's a very, very clear act, don't you think, for mm-hmm. God to tear that veil in two right there in front of the priest. Absolutely. You can't really make it much clearer than that. Now, then I have this situation where people will come to me and they will argue and they're like, oh, wait, 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 wait a minute. The feast days are separate from the sacrifices.
1: How, how do they how do they calculate yeah, okay. that? Okay, so my, my
0: question is how do you have... Um, say Yom Kippur, the feast of uh, the day of atonement, without having the sacrifice of two goats. That's right. You know how do you have Passover without sacrificing a lamb? And you know, there's been friends of mine that you know in feast days and like, oh, we have Passover, um, and I'm like, well, you know, that's wrong because you're sacrificing. Uh, you, 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 we shouldn't be sacrificing because the sacrifices have come to an end. Do you do all the sacrifices as well? And I'm like, no, 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 we don't do sacrifices because they point towards Jesus.
1: So, everything else surrounding that.
0: But if you go to their place for Passover, they serve you a lamb. Seriously. So, how is that not sacrifice?
1: Oh wow! They, they go to the butcher and buy it, and they freaking because yeah, they because didn't the butcher kill
0: it. killed it, and they no. didn't kill it with their own hands. Then somehow um, they haven't sacrificed a lamb.
1: That's so messed up.
0: Oh, it's very messed up. Very, very messed up. And uh, you know, if you've, got a, if you've got some thoughts on this, maybe you're a feast day keeper, give us a call. We would love to hear from you and, uh, and, and hear your perspective on this. 1-800-324-843 is our number. We're going to be going to a song break in a minute, which give you a great opportunity to jump on the phone. However, let's go to Leviticus chapter 23 and let's find out, is there a difference between the sacrifices and the feast days, can you separate these two things from each other? So we're going to Leviticus chapter 23, and we're going down to verse 37 where it says, These are the feasts of the Lord which, you'll, which you shall proclaim to be a holy convocation to offer a burnt offering made by fire to the Lord. Notice the feasts are the burnt offering. Mm-hmm. The feasts are The sacrifice Mm -hmm. and the drink offerings and all of the other offerings that take place. This is Selah, the beautiful and terrible cross. More to come on this subject as we get back into the Bible.
3: There is a beautiful, terrible cross Where though you committed no sin Savior, you suffered the most wicked fate On the cruelest creation of man Yet on that beautiful, terrible cross You did what only you could Turning that dark-inspired evil of hell Into our soul's greatest good We see the
0: Was Sila beautiful? Terrible cross, right here on Faith FM. We are in the Book of Acts, and we are particularly talking about Stephen and how that Stephen apparently preached against the was perceived as preaching against the temple because he preached against the services of the temple, the sacrifices, and the feast days that were taking there, taking place there, which pointed forward to the work and ministry of Jesus, mm-hmm. which was now complete. Mm-hmm. And to continue those, you know, killing lambs after Jesus had died, the Lamb of God, was just heartless and needlessly cruel and blasphemous at the same time because it was an act that in and of itself was a denial of the death of Jesus Christ. Now, we're going to dig into this a little bit further. Um, We mentioned earlier how that when Jesus died, the veil of that temple was torn from top to bottom. Yeah. Yeah. God was clearing in the was communicating in the clearest possible way. This has come to an end. Mm-hmm. It is over. It is done with. It is finished. Don't go back there. Absolutely. And of course, the Jews had repaired their veil and were uh, continuing on. They must have been wondering, you know, how how was it that uh, that this particular uh, event took place? Now, just before Jesus died, Jesus established some new ceremonies. Isn't that so? Yep. So we have the communion service that Jesus establishes just before. So this is a new covenant with new ceremonies, right? Mm -hmm. Let's notice what the Bible says in Hebrews chapter 9. Hebrews chapter 9 has some really good things to say on this subject. And if you've ever wondered whether we should be keeping the feast days or not, then maybe this is the Bible study that you need to be digging into today. Hebrews chapter 9. And we'll read verse 1 and 2, where the Bible says this. Then truly the first covenant, or the old covenant, had also ordinances of divine service in a worldly sanctuary. For there was a tabernacle made. You know, It goes on and talks about the, uh, the services and the san- of the sanctuary, and, uh, which involves sacrifices and feast days. So notice here the language the Bible uses. The Bible says the first covenant had also ordinances of divine service. You have two covenants. The Bible says that the first covenant, it had its services and ordinances. Ordinances, of course, uh, refers to the feast days. If it had its ones, then the natural conclusion is that the new covenant now has its own separate ones, Mm -hmm. separate from the first ones. And Paul very clearly places these ones as in the first covenant in the past tense. It had past tense, ordinances, mm-hmm. and services, and feast days. So Paul makes this very, very much a, a, an issue of uh, past tense as uh, we work our way down through this particular subject. If we go down to uh, chapter 9 and verse 10. Uh, Mon, would you like to read that for us, please? This is continuing on this same so we, that's, our, that's our context. Our context is the old covenant that's been done away with. Uh, 9 and 10, please.
1: 9 and 10. This is an illustration pointing to the present time. For the gifts and sacrifices that the priests offer are not able to cleanse the consciences of the people who bring them. For that old system deals only with food and drink and various cleansing ceremonies. Physical regulations that were in effect only until a better system could be established.
0: Okay, so notice here that the Bible says, Paul says very, very clearly that both the sacrifices... And the ceremonies
3: mm-hmm.
0: were finished, mm-hmm. done, and cannot make you pure. They cannot do anything for you. This is very, very uh, clear language uh, that Paul is using um, in, in relationship to drink offerings, feast days, ceremonies, uh, etc. If we go over to Galatians chapter four and verse nine, Galatians chapter four and uh, verse nine. Let me read this one. But no. But now, after you have known God, or rather are known of God, how do you turn again to the weak and beggarly elements, whereunto you desire again to be in bondage? Well, what's he talking about here? What are these weak and beggarly elements? I'm, I'm sure your newer translation is clearer on that one.
1: <coughs> Sorry. Yeah.
0: Verse. Uh, verse nine.
1: There. Yeah, it, it's talking about. Um, the the uh, the useless, um, the feasts and the and the that don't make have any more use anymore. Yeah, I mean, mine mine says are uh, useless spiritual principles of this world, weak and useless.
0: Yeah, and mine goes on. Of course, in verse ten, it goes on to say you observe days and months and times and years. In other words, the annual, daily, and annual services. He's writing to a Jewish um, um, uh, congregation here or a Judaizing congregation of Christians. And, you know, he mentions you're, you're serving all of these different dates, the mm. annual and daily services of the feast days.
1: Why do people these days want to even keep the feast days? Like, what is it they're getting out of it? It just seems so weird.
0: Well, I guess many people keep them as a commemoration. Mm-hmm. But the fact is that Jesus gave us a number of commemorations. And if Jesus has given us a number of new commemorations that replace the old ones,
1: that we should
0: obey. Why don't we do what Jesus said to do? Yeah, communion, service, baptism—these are the, you know, the New Testament, New Covenant uh, ceremonies that God has given to us um, to to be a part of, you know, um, a part of our Christian experience. Now, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. let's go over to Ephesians, Galatians, Ephesians chapter two and verse fifteen. Ephesians chapter two and verse fifteen. The Bible says having abolished in his flesh. That's pretty strong language, isn't it? Yep. The enmity, even the law of commandments contained in ordinances. This is not referring to the Ten Commandments. This is referring to the ceremonial law of the commandments contained in audience, in ordinances. Because Paul you know, very clearly stated Romans 3, verse 31, do, do we abolish the law for a faith? God forbid we establish the law. This is the ceremonial law. This is uh, the ordinances, of course, refer to the feast days. He's abolished them. Um, for to make himself of two, one new man, so making peace. That's rather clear, wouldn't you say? Absolutely. Uh, well, let's go on. Let's go back to Galatians then. Galatians chapter... 3 and verse 19. Galatians 3 and 19.
1: Why then was the law given? It was given alongside the promise to show people their sins. But the law was designed to last only until the coming of the child who was promised. God gave his law through angels to Moses, who was the mediator between God and the people.
0: Okay, so once again we need to note that Paul is not advocating the doing away with the Ten Commandments. Mm, No. He upholds the Ten Commandments more than any other Bible writer. That that point needs to be made and made very, very clear. What Paul is doing away with is the Old Covenant. Mm -hmm. And along with the Old Covenant, what Paul is doing away with is the sanctuary services and ceremonies and feast days. You think about this. In fact, let me me show you something from the book of Luke. Luke chapter 1. And here we're going to read about the experience of a righteous Jew. What was it that righteous Jews used to do before Jesus came? Luke chapter 1 and uh, verse 6.
1: Zechariah and Elizabeth were righteous in God's eyes, careful to obey all of the Lord's commandments and regulations.
0: Okay. Uh, Mine says commandments and ordinances. Mm -hmm. Righteous Jews did two things. Number one, they kept the Ten Commandments, which is referenced here, the Commandments. And number two, they kept the ceremonial law or the ordinances. Mm -hmm. They did not do three things, keep the commandments, keep the ordinances and keep the feast days. Mm -hmm. The sacrifices and the feast days were one Mm
1: -hmm. and you
0: cannot separate it. It is impossible. They have been nailed to to the cross. It is a form of blasphemy to keep them in today's world.
1: So we must be careful uh, not to get locked into some of our sort of cherished notions um, because you know we can choose to close out new light by doing that um, when we get stuck in our habits and our traditions and we need to follow God and follow God's word.
0: Absolutely. And of course, we're going to move on now with Melissa Otto, Don't Give Up. Uh, you're listening to Faith FM. Mm-hmm.
4: Beside the one who desires to overcome the victory in show.
0: You're listening to Andrew Peterson with Is He Worthy here on Faith FM. Mon, how are we going with our, with our quiz? Why are you waving your phone in my face? Because
1: I'm making our first ever episode of IGTV. You've got to be joking. You should have warned me you were doing
0: IGTV today. Oh, I did. You I would have worn a nice shirt and had a shave.
1: Yeah, yeah, whatever. You look fine. Don't d- worry. Do
0: my d- 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 hair and makeup. Make yourself <laughs> suitable for TV. You know how this all goes.
1: Okay, let me tell you our next clue, however. Uh, <laughs> yes, our next clue is, or well, this Who Am I quiz? Mm-hmm. My daughter danced for Herod on his birthday. Mm-hmm. Mm.
0: The dance of the seven veils—I think they call it. If you These know dance. who that is, has give nothing us a to do call. with what happened back then, of course, but.
1: That's yeah, fair. you can give us a call if you know the answer. The number is 1-800-FAITH-FM. It's 1-800-324-843. Or you can text us 0491-064-669. And uh, if you get it right, we're going to send you the prize. Now, Lyle, time yes. for Q of the D, question yes. of the day. Yes. And a question that's come in uh, is, what does the Bible say about tasty, tasty gossip? Or just gossip. It doesn't have to be tasty. Don't. <laughs> Don't? Mm-hmm. That's it? Mm-hmm. That's what it says? Mm-hmm. Where?
0: Everywhere, all over the place. In fact, gossip is one of the most uh, commonly mentioned sins in the Bible. Uh, okay. Um, and really, gossip is a way of stealing because you steal somebody's reputation, is a way of killing because you kill someone's reputation, you can't even take their life through gossip. Um, lots of people have died of suicide as a result of gossip. Um and so, yeah, gossip is a it, it's a major, major issue, and, and of course, you know, a lot of gossip is just telling lies. Mm-hmm. Um, researchers have said that have have stated that around about eighty percent of our conversation is talking about somebody else. Oh wow! Now, not all of talking about somebody else is necessarily gossip, mm-hmm. but we do have to take into consideration that if we are talking about somebody else, all right, am I gossiping? Yeah. And of course, we always love to justify it like, oh, I'm talking about this other person because, you know, I need to be talking. Yeah, There's a reason why we need to be talking about them mm-hmm, and, and, mm-hmm. and usually there is not. Mm-hmm. So, here's a couple of principles involved in gossiping. First of all, um, if, you are in, if you are with somebody who is a gossip mm-hmm. and they're a really good friend of yours mm-hmm. and you have great conversations together about other people, mm-hmm. you need to know that you are part of the mix. Yeah. Okay, so you need to know that they are saying just as much about you as what they are saying about others.
1: I found that to be true every single time in my life. Yes, that's right, Mm -hmm.
0: without fail, without Mm -hmm. fail. And so, you know, somebody who is just a – just lives for gossip, they're not necessarily going to be, you know, the the greatest person to be around all the time Mm -hmm. because um, they're going to be talking about you. They might profess, you know, the greatest love for you and so forth. But, uh, yeah, that's a, 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 a little bit of an issue right there. Um, now, psychologists have come up with a way, a phrase that you can use to stop gossip. Okay. And they've proven that this actually works. Mm-hmm. And it's just the simplest thing ever, and I don't know why we all haven't thought of it. But when somebody starts to gossip and they start to talk, about somebody else, you know, usually if we don't want to gossip, which is kind of rare mm-hmm. uh, because gossip is a trap that is easily fallen into, mm-hmm. but our, our, our often our pious response has been, look, you know, I really don't want to gossip. I don't want to be talking behind this person's back. And all that does is create a barrier between you and the other person mm-hmm. yeah. because you've just told them you are a dirty, rotten gossip. Yeah. And right. accuse them of that, and it's a, and it's, a it's a judgmental way mm-hmm. of you know telling somebody that you know you should not be behold, be, be involved in this kind of behavior.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, psychologists have said simply said just ask the question why are you telling me this? Why are you telling me this? Why, why are you telling me mm-hmm. this? Which then the person has to justify why it is they're having that conversation, and in the process of justifying the conversation, they are going to realise they are actually gossiping.
1: Ah, that's a very clever way of doing it. Yes, why so you are haven't are you telling judged them. You
0: just ask them, why Why are you telling me this?
1: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And that causes them to self-reflect.
0: And, uh, and they accuse themselves of, and they judge themselves of gossiping rather than you judge. It's a, it's, a, it's a slightly less judgmental way of saying, hey, you're a gossiper.
1: No, very nice. Well, if you have a question that you want to ask uh, Faith FM about the Bible or anything else, give us a call. 1-800-FAITH-FM is the number. It's 1-800-324-843. You never know what your question might be question of the day.
0: The Bible says, He that goes around as a tale-bearer reveals secrets, therefore don't have anything to do with him that flatters with his lips.
1: Why are you telling me this? That's the question you ask that guy.
0: JJ Heller, what love really means.
1: He cries
5: in the corner where nobody sees He's the kid with the story no one would believe He prays every night, dear God won't you please Could you send someone here who will love you
0: You're listening to JJ Hello here on Faith FM, What Love Really Means. And we have come to the end of The Breakfast Show, Positively Different Radio in the Morning with Lyle and Mon, and we are about to give something away. What are we giving it away today?
1: Well, actually, before I give anything away for free, I do – I don't know how we just managed to be one – Oh, do you know what? We haven't – this is – this whole time I thought we were one clue behind, but it turns out we actually just have an extra clue on today's quiz. So I'm going to give you a late, a late clue. So There's the, seven clues on this quiz? Six, which is more than what we usually have. So who am I? I told my daughter to ask for the head of John the Baptist on a platter. Mm. Mm, if you know who that is, give Here's us a, clue. a call.
0: Here's a clue. She was um, related to Herod.
1: Mm-hmm. Yes, very close to that. <laughs> there were okay. a number
0: of men who were called Herod.
1: Indeed. If you know the answer to it, a
0: called
1: 1-800-FAITH-FM, one 800 is the number to call. She lived and in it's a building also the same number to call if you want to get our giveaway.
0: She lived in a building called the Herodium.
1: She did. She did indeed. If you want to get a copy of Melissa Otto's city album, "The Journey Home," which is probably and her what her
0: name sounds
1: like, seriously, <laughs> I'm going to kick you out of this studio in a second. <laughs> You're going to give it away. <laughs> I was trying to get you to give it away. <laughs> no, I'm not going. I'm not going to give it away.
0: Yesterday, when you posted it on on social media, you know that.
1: No, because because someone claimed it already. Oh wait, okay. I only post it when. It's been, yeah, ah, so people can I know see. the answer. Yeah, I see. so yeah, So, yeah, um, but if no one gets it, I don't post it. But uh, Melissa Otto's album is for free today. You don't have to answer any questions. Just give us a call, 1-800-324-843. It's 1-800-FAITH-FM. It's a beautiful 15-song album, The Journey Home, and uh, we will send that to you free of charge.
0: Fantastic. And, of course, always remember, we love to connect people with the Bible. So if you would like to know more about the Bible, give us a call, 1-800-324-843, and we will make that happen for you or text us on zero. 04- Four nine one zero six four six six nine, or any of our social medias—Instagram, Twitter, or Facebook—and we will connect you, you with someone that can study the Bible with you.
6: the sun shine again, I know the master of the wind, oh let Jesus come your storm and let the sun shine again, he is the master of the wind. presence of his glory
2: unto unto Him. him